Welcome to Everybody's Bad with Money. I'm AJ Schneider, founder and CEO of Beyond the Green Coaching, where we help people every single day heal their relationship with money. Join me multiple times per week where I bring you inspiring guests, solo episodes, and share tangible money and life tips you need to be your most confident, independent, and empowered self. Welcome back to Everybody's Bad with Money. My guest today is priorities coach, Erin Rose. Erin helps stressed out moms ditch the BS story of what they think they're supposed to do and what it's supposed to look like to be a mom by showing them how to be a priority in their own damn life. And through that self-accountability, helping them design the family life they've always dreamed of. Erin's a mom of four kids over the span of the last 22 years and is married to a firefighter. They have two adorable puppies who are really dogs. And when Erin isn't coaching, she loves being social, watching movies, practicing self-care and reading. What's awesome about Erin is that she's actually running a priorities training program where she offers you a quick, affordable and straightforward approach to making you the priority in your own damn life. I love how she uses personal development plus accountability to support her clients into taking self-care seriously. So important. We're going to talk about that a lot in this episode. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more. Her program starts June 21st. So if you've been struggling with burnout, anger, and lacking in boundaries and time management, then this is your girl. Go check her out. All right, let's dive in. Erin, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here and to chat. We're going to chat. We're going to chat about making you a priority in your goddamn yes. life. Did I say it in right? In your own damn life, but good enough. In your own <laughs> damn life. Okay. Making you a priority in, in your, your own, own damn, damn life. life. That's right. That's right. So how did Erin Rose get to this place where now she's teaching people about being priorities in their own damn life? Oh, gosh. All right. How much time do we have? Dive right in. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, okay. So um, I need to take you way back. So I have four children. My oldest is 22, then 19, 16, and 13. So like I've been knee deep in all things kids for 22 years, right? So let's do the math on that. That means that I was newly 27, because my daughter was born a month after I turned 27. So I was young. Really was, young. I mean, 22 years ago, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> but by right. today's standards, yeah, it's it, it was young. But um, I'm, I'm sidebar, wishful and hopeful that since I'm going to be 54, when my youngest graduates from high school, I have this whole other damn life ahead of me. So that's exciting. And hopefully more money in my pockets. Yeah. But going back to when I was newly 27 and I had just had my first baby, I was doing everything I thought I was supposed to do, right? Because that's kind of how you entered into motherhood. I, I need people to understand when, when, I'm, when I'm talking that we didn't have all of the resources that you have today. We had a lot more than my mom did or even that my sister did, but not like you have today. I mean, it's mind-boggling how many resources are going on right now, which is fantastic. I'm glad someone woke up and made that happen. But back, yeah, like, wait, just like example of resources, like like Facebook mom blogs. Yeah, I mean, like, mom blogs. I, I mean, you're going to laugh at this, but like cute, like Lululemon outfits. Like 
that didn't exist right. 22 years ago, right? So, um, but even just like different classes, different birthing options, like you had right. birthing options then, but nothing that everybody really dove into. You were like, I go to the OBGYN and then I go to the hospital and that's it. Because if you had a home birth, right. it was like, you were a little out there. But now it's right. like, awesome, let's do that. Yeah, like having agency over these things. I I mean, I I ask every woman, like I know, I'm like, okay, what was your birth mm-hmm. plan? Like all of this stuff. And, you know, if we want to talk about feminism, like these are the things that I am most passionate about, about feminism. It's, do you know when you bleed? Do you know when you ovulate? And also like getting your finances in order and becoming financially free and independent. However, I think I can add a third, which is like, like having agency over, if you are a person who wants to have a baby, like having agency over that process, it's so masculine. It's so out of touch with our bodies. You know, I, I, I've always felt really grateful to be a woman. And it's funny, my husband is always like, we live in the golden age. Like we live, and I was like, the world is falling <laughs> apart. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, we live in the golden age. It's so amazing. But as a woman, I've always felt like, I've always felt empowered in my voice. I've always felt empowered to like ask questions. And that is because 22 years ago, like that wasn't a thing. And like 22 years before that was, it was like not even remotely a thing. No, I mean, my sister and I, who I love dearly, but there's a little bit of an age gap between us. To your point, she'll tell me things that are happening to her body. And I'll say, you need to go and talk to your doctor about this. And she's like, I'm not. I'm not doing that. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) So then I get online and I start doing some research and I'm like, okay, here's what I'm finding, but I am not a doctor. You need to go. Anyways, but exactly to your point, generationally, it has gotten so much better and it will continue to get better um, than it did, than it was when, you know, I had my first 22 years ago, you know? So just to circle us back to that. So I, I had my first baby. And I was clueless, right? I mean, sure, I read what to expect what ex- to expecting, but it's not the best book. It's super dry. It's very boring. <laughs> and so then you start to rely on other people, mm. right? I'm a talker. And so I will happily talk to anybody, even in the grocery line. Right. So you start asking questions. You start asking your friends. You start asking your mom. You ask my sister, you know, things like that, which is great and will work for a little while. but there was a really, really key component that I was ignoring by asking everybody else. Mm. And that was myself, mm-hmm. right? I have really good gut instincts. And so I rely on them a lot, but I, for some reason, I silenced that for quite some time, as well as kind of silenced my husband's voice in that process also. Right. Because because he should he doesn't know. What does he know? He's a man. Yeah. I mean, he has a lot of medical background, which is great because he's a firefighter paramedic. So I always like would go to him for, I think the kid has this weird rash. What is that? You know, that sort of a thing. But right. for the most part, we I, I I sadly, I can say that now, I sadly relied on my parenting style and technique from everybody else. Wow. And I didn't pause and think, well hold on. How do I want to do this? How do we want to do this? So we have, we did some of that. Like one of the exercises that I always tell parents to do is figure out the kind of adult you want, not child. (laughs) 
because you really only raise your child for a very short amount of time. Right. What, what's your end game? What do you want them to be when they are an adult, not living on your dime anymore, not living under your roof anymore? How do you want them to show up in society? And how does that, I have so many questions. <gasps> I, like, how does that manifest with a two-year-old who's driving you absolutely insane? Or it's really not, twos are sweet. It's really that four-year-old yeah. who does not stop talking yeah. and wants to watch High School Musical. Mm-hmm. Shout out to my niece. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Every day, three yep, times a day. It's true. So part of how, how my husband, Kevin, and I did this is that we said, okay, we want um, socially aware, honest, trustworthy. Um, we wanted to create good citizens, mm-hmm. right? And, and there's lots of other characteristics that went along with that. I mean, I'm not even, I'm barely touching the surface on this. And then we worked backwards. So I will say that's one thing that we did that I am super proud of because I feel like we did that really well. Um, and then, and then when you work backwards, then you can start to ask yourself more questions like, okay, well, if, if this is what I ultimately want, how am I going to get there? Right. I, I'm sure it happens when you're working with your clients, when you're budgeting and doing financial planning and all of that, like, this is where I want to be. But here's where I am. So now let's let's create a roadmap of how I'm going to get there. And so we did make some um, smart, conscious choices about how we were around the kids, how we presented ourselves around the kids, because we are their number one role model. Right. So how we communicate, how we show up, how we you know are socially aware, talk about political things. It was not nearly as divisive then as it is now. Right. But even today, my two older ones, 19 and 22, we get to have those sort of discussions with them and hear their points of view. So um, we did that part really well. But some of the other things we didn't because I, again, silenced myself unknowingly and relied on everybody else to sort of tell me what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. I want to dive into that because it's so fascinating because I talk about this a lot. It was the same for me with money. I kept thinking, this is why, this is literally the name of this podcast is Everybody's Bad With Money because I kept thinking that they knew something I didn't know. External they, my friends, Mm -hmm. parents, everybody else knew something about money that I didn't know. And therefore, if I just did what they did, or if I just like pretended, not pretended because I was very like victim-y, oh me, poor me. If I just continued to spend the way that they're spending, then my circumstances will change. Mm-hmm. Then when I started to reclaim my own independence back and budget and create boundaries, I mean, that's what budgeting is. It's saying yes to something and saying no to something else so you can say yes to something else. Right. And creating that budget and reclaiming that power back, I was like, wait, you're all bad with money. <gasps> and I've been following you. It's like the blind leading the blind. Like mm-hmm. I literally was like, you're horrible with money. Like, yeah, what are we, what? And I've been following you thinking you knew something I didn't. And so it's so fascinating that like, I want to dive more into that core. Like, where do you think that came from? That core belief? Because mm-hmm. like, realistically, like that mentality is created from a core belief that I had about myself. So what was that like core belief that happened when you got pregnant where you stopped trusting your gut and you started, where you you had your baby, you stopped trusting your gut and you were like, 
I'm just going to follow the blind, basically? Gosh, that is a really good question that I feel like I'm not going to be able to give you a very good answer because I feel like that's a journal question, right? Yeah. But I will say that there is 100%, I think in both of our situations, a level of unknowing. Yeah. I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember leaving the hospital after having my first and, and literally thinking to myself, are you fucking kidding me? They just handed me. They entrusted they me with this They just handed me a human being that I have to keep alive. <laughs> and I don't know how to do that. I've only had to keep myself alive. And let me tell you, there were times that that was iffy, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think about that all the time. I went to, it was so funny you were in my head because we'll get into this oh, later, welcome. but like the five... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I love it. No, I'm so glad you're, you have some real estate up there. So I was thinking about like your five, um, ha- you know, self-care tips. Mm-hmm. And so I went to a wedding and I decided on dirty martinis versus vodka, like tequila soda or, you know, something to cut the alcohol. Yeah. And I got very drunk, shockingly. <laughs> and I woke up the next morning and I was like, I have a dog. Like, this is a dog. This is, you know, I was like, thank God I have a husband. And I was like, what would have happened if I came home from this wedding and I was responsible for this thing? And it was really like, you were in my head and I was just like, I don't like that. That like really made me upset. It was a great night, but it made me really upset that like I was so out of control in the sense that like I just went home and went to bed. Because like when you're a parent, that's really not an option. No. It's a luxury now, but it's really not because I have a dog. And like, luckily she was walked and taken care of and I didn't have to worry. Yeah. And that's what's nice about having teamwork. But like what, I know a lot of people who have dogs who are single. Yeah. Or children. Yeah. And (laughs) I know a lot of parents that go out and get like plastered and then suffer the next day and now have to deal with raising children on top of that. Right? Like at least your dog will kind of probably curl up next to you when you're feeling like crap, like milking the hangover, right? Worst thing that can happen, the dog pees in the house, poops in the house. And like, that's pretty much it. Imagine having the hangover with your niece who's four and wants to watch High School Musical and you're like, fine, fine. Just, oh my God. Because, okay, no, it's miserable, which is why that's, you know, one of the things that I kind of preach is especially to moms because there's a there's a strong connection of moms need to drink wine in order to like relax and get through parenting yeah. right it's yeah. why one destigmatizing of, uh, it's one of my messages is getting drunk or having wine every night is not self care that is not self care yeah. i don't care what anybody says can we get some claps eric please <laughs> just throw some claps in there I agree. And it could be your self-care, but again, it's going back to, and I'm going to keep pressing into this because I'm so fascinated by this deep rooted feeling of like, you can decide if that's right for you, but if you're doing it because that's what everybody around you is doing, then that's not self-care. Right. Yeah. So going back to that kind of core belief, other than the unknowing being completely clueless and somebody just handed me a human being that I'm supposed to keep alive. (laughs) I also just think, you know, there were definitely lack of resources, maybe in my own opinion, maybe they were out there. 
I don't think that they were because I definitely did, especially with your first, you totally do your due diligence. It's like when you plan a wedding, right? Like you're all things wedding and you just dive in so deep. It's the same when you're having your first baby, like you dive in so deep. And by the time the second one comes around, you're like, okay, I kind of have a good idea on this. And by the time you get to the fourth, like me, you're like, you know, you give birth and you're like, you're good, right? You got this because we've done this a few times. So now we're fine. Are you the first child or the se- you're the first child? I'm the baby. I'm oh, the you're the third. baby. Me too. Yeah, I'm the baby. I'm the spoiled one. I love being yeah. the baby. Yeah. I mean, there's there's something to be said for being the baby because there's a level of independence that comes along with being the baby because, as I said, by the time most parents get to their last one, whatever that is, whether it, not as much if it's an only child, this probably doesn't apply, but even on the second or the third, or if you're crazy like me and have four or more, by the time you get to that last one, you're like, not only do I know what I'm doing, I also know all the things that I've screwed up along the way. So I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. Right. So let me just give you an example. I was such a hard ass about what my oldest daughter listened to. Right. I was like, we don't listen to music that has cuss words in it. And we don't listen to, you know, rap and we whatever, right? Whatever it was. <laughs> now with my youngest daughter, my favorite time with my children is when I am driving them to practice because it's one-on-one time. I I am not a fan of carpooling, mainly just because I get that one-on-one time with them, right? And I know that that's so short-lived. So now when I'm driving her to soccer practice, I let her play her playlists. And this one day she put on a Snoop Dogg song and I was like, oh, hell yeah, we're doing this. Right. And I'm like singing to it and dancing in the car and having a great old time. And I'm sitting in my head giggling, thinking there is no way I, there is no way with my oldest, I would have ever have allowed this ever. It's so funny. Yeah, so one of my best friends is the oldest of three, three girls. And we always joke because she wasn't allowed to do anything because I lived in the city, she lived in the suburbs and she wasn't allowed to come visit me because like it was dangerous on the Upper East Side of Manhattan where we went to diners and Barnes and Nobles. But uh, yeah, like real, real spicy. (laughs) But, um, But her younger sister, of course, could do anything she wanted. But it's so funny because... It's so, it's just so interesting. Like my sister too was like, she was technically in the middle, but really like she was the oldest because we were a pair and then my brother's a half. And so she, she created these like rules of like how to be a good daughter, you know, of all of the things that like, and it's like, but our mom, like we didn't have structure and rules and like, I could listen to whatever I want, do whatever I want. And so could she, but she like created these rules because she, so much of her was like, you know, being the good daughter and being the good sister and being like a role model to be. And it was like, it's just so interesting how that dynamic works. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's pretty, pretty common because I see it in my oldest daughter happening right now. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't need to be the parent. You just need to be the kid still. Or a young adult actually now at 22, just graduated from college. You get to be the young adult and I still get to be the parent. It's so tough, I think, for them. I um, I have a really funny story that, like, I don't know any other time it would be valuable to share other than talking to you. <laughs> I used to throw temper tantrums when I was a kid, and I would my temper tantrums were like always public. I would get on the floor and I would like scream, and I like and I have so much compassion for that little girl. I don't even feel an ounce of like 
embarrassment about that because she had a lot of mm-hmm. unfulfilled needs met. You know, like a, a lot of her needs were not met and a lot of of her feelings were ignored. Mm-hmm. So I totally get why she was having tamper tantrums. But me and my sister were like joking about this a few years ago because she, my sister and I have this memory of like, she's like seven, I'm four, or she's eight and I'm four, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And I'm throwing a temper tantrum and my mom turns to my sister and goes, take her out of the store, deal with it. <laughs> my And I was like, we both started cracking up because we like now are looking at her daughter who's five and we're just like, yeah. What universe is that appropriate for an eight-year-old to go pull me outside so my mom can go shopping? Uh, you want me to tell you? Yes. I'll tell you exactly what happened. What happened? I'll tell you exactly what happened because it happens to every single mom. Oh my God, I can't wait. It's not totally appropriate to have your eight-year-old take your four-year-old. But back then it was not, you know, not as bad. But here's what happened. If that was your sister throwing the tantrum and your mom only had your sister, your mom would be mortified and she would whisk her out of the store because God forbid anybody see her child having a temper tantrum, right? But by the time you get to the second or the third kid, you're like, no, screw it. This is when I have time to go to the grocery store or whatever it was. So this is what needs to happen. I just need to get it done because there's no other time in my day that I can make this happen. So screw it. I don't care that you're throwing a temper tantrum. I don't care that everybody's looking at me. And I don't care that anybody has an opinion about the fact that my child's totally freaking out of the store because I've got to get this done. Yeah, that's what happens. So that's why your mom is like, I literally just probably need 10 more minutes. Can you just take your sister so I can finish this and we can get home and then I can deal with it and move on with my day? Oh, it was not that well articulated (laughs) um, at all. Sometimes in the moment, we're not that good. We're not at our best. Oh. Oh no. Oh no. But, uh, it's very funny. And I, and you know, I think, but I think unfortunately, I think that caused resentment Sure. on both ends because why is she telling, she's not my mother. And then on her end, she's like, why am I, I want to be responsible? Know, res- yeah. 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 I know it yeah. is. It's really hard as children to understand why some parents do what they do. I'm, I'm knee deep in that right now with, with my older ones, because you know, they're questioning a lot of what we did, Mm. Um, which is fair. I mean, bring it on. If I didn't explain it well then, and it doesn't make sense, then let's have an open conversation about it now, instead of having years and years and years of your own story happening in your head of what you think transpired and then being resentful or angry, right. And then lashing out back on dad and I, it's like, no, let's, let's, cut this off at the past and have some conversations around this. Wow. I'm hearing so many people that I know and love being like, yes, your kids are asking questions and you're answering them because I think so many parents are very incapable of having the emotional conversation or addressing, you know, a very big part of my journey with my mom was being like, my emotional experience of my past has nothing to do with your emotional Mm -hmm. experience of your past. Mm -hmm. And you have to give me permission to experience my past the way I experienced it because it would upset her so much that she would deny my reality. Yeah. And I was like, I can no longer have a relationship with you if you deny my Mm -hmm. reality. This is what I experienced. And I understand it makes you feel bad but it's not my problem that it makes you feel bad. 
I just need to explain it and express myself so that you can see me as I saw me in my reality versus you seeing what you wanted to see and what you remember and don't remember. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just because we do it, just because we have the conversations with our children doesn't mean it isn't difficult. It is because you feel like a punching bag. Yeah. Right. Because they're pointing out all the things that you didn't do well. Hmm. And, and I don't know of any human being that feels good having all their shit pointed back at them. Right. Right. So it is difficult and it is hard, but probably my favorite, and I have a lot of phrases that I throw out there, but probably my favorite phrase that I say a lot that I think is valuable for parent and child to remember is I did the best that I could at the time with the information that I had. Would I do it different now? Yeah, 100% I would. But I didn't have that information then. Mm -hmm. I had this information then. So that was the choice that I made. I don't know, as a parent, you don't know if you're making the right choice or the wrong choice until after it's been made. Right. Right? And so sometimes you screw up. And it sucks because it impacts your child in a way that you never intended it to impact them, right? That's why then having those conversations, those really hard, ugly, you know, ugly crying, snot coming out of your nose conversations are really important because you have to be able to break down whatever happened so that then you can hopefully move forward. It's it's not always a foolproof plan, but if you don't stay open to listening to what your children need to say to you, and, and because I, I get this and this, I, I, even at my age, I'm realizing with my mom and I, it's very much generational because mm-hmm. I know how her, her parents were from the generation of children are seen, not heard. Right. So even though my mom was better, we got to be heard just not as much. Right. Right. So now, so it just keeps getting better and better and better each generation. But I think it's really important that if you are in a different generation, that you understand kind of where they came from. Right. And that they're doing the best that they can with the information that they have at that time. Yeah. It's interesting that you said um, little kids should be seen and not heard because how it was taught to me is, which is so fucked up. Because my mother was a businesswoman and entrepreneur and significantly more successful than my father, but I was taught little girls should be seen oh, yeah. and not hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. You we're just supposed to sit there and look pretty and don't get dirty and you know, yeah, all the things. And yeah, no, it's it's that is very super fucked up. Right? It's so it's, it's so messed up. Yeah. And and I think it's a good example, and it kind of goes back to again, it's like. How do we just allow, why do we allow these narratives of other people that isn't our own to impact our decision-making that is, there's no rule book on how, I mean, sure, there's a million rule books on how to be a parent, but like there really isn't. Yeah. And, and why are we so comfortable just allowing external noise to impact our decision-making? Oh, I feel like there's so many directions I can go with this. I think, I think it's multiple things. I think there's a lack of confidence in yourself that comes into play. I think society today is all about external noise mm. to the point that people don't know how to turn it off at all. 
you know, I, I'm not pointing fingers at all, but you know, when reality TV came into play, external noise got really loud yeah, and it's only gotten louder, right? Like the decibels, if that, I think that's what noise is, right? Like that's how you categorize it. But anyways, th- that just keeps getting louder and louder and louder. And so it's becoming even more and more important to teach, not just ourselves, but our children, how to rely on themselves, how to listen to their inner voice, how to go with that gut feeling, whatever you want to call it. Because I, I think it was, it's, it's so much easier. Here's the other part. I do think it's so much easier to just do what somebody else does than to actually have to sit and figure it out for yourself. Yeah. Oh yeah. So true. No one wants to take the hard road, if you will. It's so hard. It is very hard, but let me just tell you, here's what happens. So now I'm going to, I'm going to bring you up to speed as to how I kind of got a little bit more to this place. So I'm raising kids for almost 15 years, maybe 12 years, 13, something like that. And I hit a wall so hard, like slammed into it. I'm sure I had like, you know, road rash or whatever all over my face and my (laughs) body. I, I mean, I just hit it really hard. And I was like, what, what is wrong with me? Why? I, I hate my life. I hate being married. I hate having children. I, I mean, I just hated everything. I was in a really angry state. So I did what I, the only thing I knew to do, because I was sort of embarrassed at this point now to even go to friends, like I, because I didn't see that happening to them. And I was like, well, then something's wrong with me because no one right, else around yeah. me is going through this. So I went to therapy and started to very uncomfortably pull back layers. You Mm. want to talk about some hard shit? That's just hard. That's really (laughs) uncomfortable, right? But I sat there and I sat in it and I didn't give up. And then eventually my husband and I went to marriage counseling, which was great. That's clearly what we needed because we had a lot to heal and fix, if you will. And so after about two years, it's funny little story about that. I remember calling one of my best friends and saying, oh my God, she kicked me out. Like she said, like, you're done. You don't, don't come back anymore. And I was like, what? And I remember him saying to me, he was like, you're looking at this all wrong. She didn't kick you out. (laughs) You graduated. And I was like, oh, that's so much better. Oh my gosh, yes, I graduated from therapy. First of all, I didn't even know that that was a thing, but apparently it is a thing, right? Like if you freaking do the hard work, you get to graduate. So anyways, I came out of that realizing so many things that I had done wrong, that I wish I could do differently, ways that I wanted to be, ways that I no longer wanted to be. And I coupled that with doing a few things on my own. And one of the biggest things that I did is I started a gratitude journal, honestly, for no other reason than just for shits and giggles. I was like, everyone talks about this. So, I mean, what's it going to hurt yeah. to just try? It's literally life-changing. It's the honestly, antidote. It I mean, is it's literally medicine. 100%. Hun- I still yeah. to this day do it. Nine years later, I it's still incredible. do it because... When I start to notice little tidbits, because now people meet me and they're like, you're always so positive. You're always so happy. How are you like that? And I was like, oh, this didn't come without like a boatload of shit behind it, right? Well, I think the way to kind of like say that, 
not that I'm trying to rewrite what you said, but like rewrite, reword what you said, but like there's no universe where the suffering isn't looped into the positivity and the gratitude, right? Like I don't think, I say this all the time, I don't think gratitude is intuitive. No. Children aren't meant to be like grateful. They just exist until they have consciousness to the point of being like, oh, thanks for changing my diaper 7,000 times, if they even ever get to that point, which most people don't. Well, and it's really hard because, again, we talked about all this exterior noise. What's up? Is any of that exterior noise talking about the good things? Right. I don't even watch the news. Same. I mean... Sometimes that's not great because I'm a little disconnected and then I've got to run to my husband and say, explain this to me. But it's it's such a conscious choice for me because now that I am finally in a place that I really want to be in and live in for the first time in my life, I I don't want to let that go, right? So then you have to start making choices because now I put myself first. I made myself a priority, right? I... I decided this is how I want to live my life. So what does that mean? Like now what are the choices that I have to make in order to do that? Yeah, so what is that? When you were saying this is how I want to live my life, like what does that look like? Well, the first thing was I I want to find joy again. Mm -hmm. I want to find happiness. Like the last time, and this is going to sound really bad and I, I don't mean it to, but the last time I... I can remember really feeling joy was the day I got married Mm. and and kind of like in my twenties. I mean, the reality is your twenties are amazing. Right. But at least mine were, and I had a ton of joy and I just got to be like footloose and fancy free. And I got to go eat where I wanted to eat. And I didn't have to check in with anybody else. And I just got to go and be kind of hard to do when you have children. So that wasn't my goal. My goal was to find joy again and to live in a joyful state. So what is, how, how do I get there? Right? So it first started with doing a gratitude journal and then it, which was coupled with going to therapy. If you don't feel like therapy is your thing, that's cool. Everyone gets to make that choice for themselves. I highly recommend the gratitude journal. And then starting to look at Sort of like I talked about earlier, what's your end game? Where do you want to be? And now let's start to work backwards of how you get yourself there. So some of the things that you can do are as simple as making sure that you're eating well, right? Like get rid of the fried foods, get rid of the sugar as much as possible. Um, You know, get rid of the junk that's not making you just physically feel good. Right. That one little thing changes things for you. Mm-hmm. It'll also start to clear your head up quite a bit, right? Like, and drink the water, drink the freaking water. Every time you, as a mom, if you want to go and grab that glass of wine, don't grab water instead and see if that makes you feel different, especially the next morning, because you didn't then continue to drink and have an entire bottle that night and somehow justify that in your head that it's fine. This is normal. This is what every mom does. No, they don't. Not every mom yeah, does do that's that. Hundreds of billions of dollars of marketing. And and moms are eating it up like crazy. Yeah. Like, no, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Make a different choice for yourself. If 
he wants to, right? Yeah, because like we understand there are people like wine is their love language and like it's an appreciation, but it, but you have to be aware of the choices. Yeah. And if it's coming from you, if it's coming from something external, I, you know, we, with trigger, right? right? Like, is it coming from a trigger or is it coming from like a place of joy? Yeah. What's the intention behind having that glass of wine? 100%. What's the intention having, buying yeah, that thing? Absolutely. Is the intention, I can afford it. I need this. I want, I want it. Right. And I can afford it. Mm-hmm. And I've planned for this. Or I have room for spontaneity. Or is the intention, my boss just sent me a shitty email. Time for a cocktail. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. I like how you said that. It, what, what's kind of your intention behind it? So there's definitely some little things that you can kind of do to start to feel better. Because ultimately, when we start to feel better, then we want to start making better choices, right? Going forward. And so... So true. You can start to take little tiny micro steps towards getting there. Because what I have found is that when you try to leap and go all in, it fizzles. It's really hard to maintain that, Mm -hmm. right? So... Yeah. Diets don't work. I freaking hate diets. And any, and anything, I don't even just mean, I always call the budgeting a diet. No, you know, right. it, it does, it's not, there's no budget diet. There's no priority right. diet. But this is different because a diet to me means excluding. Hmm. And I'm trying to get you to include things. Right. Right. So I, I understand where you're going with that. I don't think diet is the right word. I don't know what would be the right word. We're, I'm gonna have to think about that and come up with the right word. Re- I'm such re- a, reintroduction. Baby, I'm such a funny word person, right? But I, I want you to indulge, mm. right? I want you to start doing these things, but you you can't look if you decide to indulge. As long as we're talking about food, if you decide to indulge and you're like, I'm just gonna have this piece of cake tonight because I because I want it because it's delicious and because you know I enjoy cake. I'm not asking you to eat the whole cake. I'm asking you to have one piece and get comfortable having one piece once a week, right? And then the next week you can have two pieces that week, right? Or whatever the case is going to be. Like, just start with the foundation of making the choice and making the decision for you that you get to be the priority above and beyond anyone else. Mm-hmm. And as a mom, that is almost impossible for us to wrap our heads around, right? We don't understand that we get to be above our children, that we get to be above our spouse. We get our priorities all screwed up, right? So when we enter into motherhood, all of a sudden it becomes our kids are on top. Maybe our husband is after them. Usually there's a lot of other filler in between that my job, extended family, my parents, whatever then my husband, then me. It's like, yeah. wait, what just happened? Why did you just literally walk your ass to the back of the line? Right. Don't. That, I'm trying to get you to stay at the front of the line because yeah. the bottom, because I almost said the bottom line, saying line a lot. Um, <laughs> because the reality is when you stay at the front of the line and you feel good and you're taking care of yourself and you're healthy and you are able to show up for your family, you give them so much more of you. They don't get what's left of you. Yeah. 
That's what's happening right now. They get the dregs of you. They get whatever is left because you've given everything else out. You have nothing else left to give. And then you crash and burn and sit and ask yourself, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. In in school, I remember in high school reading The Awakening and there's a theme in like 18th century literature written by women. And it's exactly what you're talking about. It's it, And it's so interesting because it's either women depicted by men or it's a woman who leaves her family and goes in like into the ocean and dies. Wow. And I mean, that's like what it was. You know, there was no, I can only, you know, I think... We're, we're both a part of the same club, you know, the people pleaser club, the, you know, the overcompensator club. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really big problem, right? Um, that we don't value the importance. It, and maybe it's, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm like struggling with it because it's so complex because where does guilt come from? Why is it so easy to not prioritize ourselves? It's like, Almost like, oh, wow, there's this external thing that I can put all of my effort into because not, maybe it's because I'm not worthy. Maybe it's because it's so much work to actually care about myself and it's so much easier to just care about somebody else. I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts about why we do that. So from the mom perspective, um, it's because it's what we're told to do. And then when you don't do it, you get shamed for it. I don't know if you have heard this age old battle between the stay-at-home mom and the working mom. Mm. And they both sit and judge each other. (laughs) It's true. The stay-at-home mom gets judged by the working mom because you're not doing enough or because I'm jealous because you get to stay home with your kids. And the stay-at-home mom is judging the working mom like, how could you leave your kids with someone else? You had them. Why are... It's such bullshit. I can't even begin to tell you. But it's been going on for decades, right? So. Sadly, as moms, we, we do what we've been told to do. And I'm sure this, you probably can dive even farther into this, especially from a feminist perspective. As women, we've been told what to do for how fucking long? Right. So it does, that doesn't change all of a sudden because you have a baby. You're still doing what you're being told to do, right? Because you're being a good little girl. Right. Because you're, you're just being seen, but you don't get to have an opinion or be heard. So you just fall in line so that nobody can judge you and nobody can make you feel bad. Or, oh, and I should say is a, a better way to say it. And so that then you don't have that stupid thing that is called mom guilt. Yeah. I hate this fucking phrase. I know you do. I hate it. I hate it with a passion. I know you know why I hate it, but let me just explain why I hate it. Guilt, the word guilt, right? Go look it up. It insinuates that you're doing something wrong. How did that get attached to being a mom? How did being a mom become doing something wrong? So because I go and take care of myself and I take 15 minutes every day to go sit quietly, to go journal, to go read, to go write in my gratitude journal, to go for a walk around the block, to take a nap. I'm wrong. I'm doing something wrong for taking care of myself. 
Because who the fuck is going to take care of my kids if I fall apart? Tell me that. So funny story. And this is not at all to bash on a religion. But years and years ago, I believe I had just had my third child. So she's now 16. So that's how long ago this was. And we were over visiting my husband's family and they all live in Hawaii. So spoiled. Love it. Yeah. Wow. So we go and visit and, and they go to church and they are Catholic. Great. I don't have a problem with that. I was raised Catholic. Let's go. I, I know all the prayers. Let's do this. But my daughter was being kind of fussy. And some Catholic churches and maybe other churches, I don't know, have kind of like parent rooms or, you know, mommy, daddy rooms, whatever. And this church is too old. It doesn't have one. So I get up and I go and I stand in the back with her, right? And she's still kind of being a little bit fussy and kind of making some noises. And I think at this point, the priest is giving the homily, which means everybody else is very quiet and listening to him. And I'm, I'm noticing that people keep turning around and looking at me and I'm getting really uncomfortable. Like, you guys, I'm, I'm sorry. I, what do you want me to do, right? Like, I mean, I guess I could step out, but she's not that, it's not like she's screaming. She's just kind of making some noises, like just a little bit fussy, but I didn't feel like I was at a point where I had to actually step out of the church. And then I remember I said to my mother-in-law, I find it so interesting that here's a religion, maybe I'm getting too political. So if I am, (laughs) take this out, but I find it so interesting that here's a religion that doesn't advocate birth control. And now I have this baby who's a gift from God and she's making some noise. And people are looking at me like I'm a bad mother because she's making noises. Like, how, do you, how does anybody connect those dots? You want me to have this child until it shows up in the world and, and makes some noises? Like, you don't get to have it both ways. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So kind of that same, sort of that same, you know, concept with, with the mom guilt. You don't get to tell me to go and have children and to procreate and to add to the world and to bring children as this blessing into the world and then turn around and make me feel bad because I'm trying to take care of myself and take care of these children. Yeah. You don't get to have it both ways, society. Sorry. That's, you don't. Yeah. I think, I think where you're also like, I know it's definitely a religious thing, but also a cultural thing in America, like about kids being very quiet. Like when I've traveled the world and I've been to a lot of countries, it's not like that in a lot of places. It's like kids are crawling on their parents. They're much more affectionate. They're much more open. It doesn't bother them. And it's interesting when like a foreign family comes to America and like, because they look, they really stick out like such a sore thumb because their kid is just like all over the place. And I think there's a balance, you know, I remember I was in um, Greece and there was this kid who was screaming at the top of their lungs. That's, that's how they spoke. And the parent, and I'm sitting there like, (laughs) and the parents are not, they, they are not reacting at all. And like there, I, I, I struggled with this battle of being like, these parents are so fucking cool that they're letting this kid be and express themselves, but also there be, but all then also I'm like, but also respect that like there are 150 other people around you right. that like don't want to hear your kids scream. So is there a balance? But like watching how cool and chill the parents were about their kid just getting to be themselves 
I was like, yeah. And I've thought about this a lot whenever I travel. Like this is a very American thing of silencing children and, and shaming parents. And yeah, and I think we can get into a whole conversation of that. I, I want to go back really quickly. You were talking about the priorities list. So what is the correct priorities list? In my opinion? Yeah, yeah. I want to know your opinion. Well, you are number one, period. Thank you. I know. <laughs> yes, 100%. Now, so I'm going to assume that you know, we're talking about a woman who has a spouse who has children sure, and probably works because I think that's more common today than not. So if those are four right there, the order should be you, your spouse, and then your children, and then your work. I agree. I agree. I just was listening to a podcast and they were saying, my work schedule used to be, it used to be my work schedule and I made my family around it. Mm-hmm. He's like, now it's my family schedule mm-hmm. and I make my work around my family schedule. And I loved that. Yeah. And I also, something that my husband and I have been saying since we first started dating, and it is so hard, but we always say you first, then the kids. And like even having our dog, it's like, it's been a really great practice yeah. because it's so easy for us to like forget. It's like first came mommy, daddy, then came you. Yes. And it should always be because mommy and daddy, look at the kid wouldn't be there without mommy and daddy. Right. Right. Or whatever equation that happens to be. It doesn't always have to be mommy and daddy. Right. Right. It, you and your partner came first. And if you don't nurture that relationship that you have, you are on a straight line to getting a divorce. Yeah, of course. And it's so easy. Everyone's like, oh, this isn't working. Oh, it's a starter marriage. Oh, it's like, we have so many phrases now in society that people are like, yeah, it's not working. We're just going to break up and not worry about it. Well, then why did you get married in the first place? Right? But I'm a little old fashioned when it comes to some of that. And I, I know that. So I won't dive into it too much. But I think if you don't nurture your marriage and I'm coming from a generation where women used to say all the time, he's just going to have to wait until the kids are 18. Yeah. And then I'll circle back around. Yeah. And then I'll circle back around and take care of him. Honey, bunny, let, let me just give you a newsflash. If he's going to have to wait until your children are 18, depending on how many you have, he's not going to wait for you. Sorry, that's just the or, reality. Or, or if he does, he's going to be a shell of himself. Right. Because true for 18 years, his needs aren't being met. And that's 18 years with one kid. Right. What if you have two? Okay, now we're at 20, 21 years. What if you have three? Like my husband, by the time we get, gosh, I should actually do that now. <laughs> my husband would probably have to wait. Uh, let me see, 27 to 54. Can you? You're, you're a number person. What is that? How many years is that? <laughs> I don't know. Let's get out the calculator. Seven, 27. What am I do- doing? 54 mi- minus 27. I think that's 27. 27 years. Oh yeah, duh. That's what my husband would have to wait. 27 years. Yeah. I don't want to wait 27 years until someone decides to show back up again in my life and be like, oh, hey. Yeah. Now I can give you some attention. Yeah. No. Yeah. So bottom line is whatever, what, so- I have people do an exercise and I have them write out their, 
usually five most important things. Sometimes people can't even get to five and that's fine. But write out for you what your five most important things are. And I first have them categorize it in their list of priorities, right? Because that's always pretty shocking to people about how it all comes up. And then I have them go back and rewrite it. And I say, okay, if they even made it to the list, which I'll be honest with you, most women don't even put themselves on the priority list. If you made it to the list, I need you to put yourself in, in that first slot and now rearrange. Yeah. Maybe you rearrange, maybe you don't. Honestly, I don't care. I hope you rearrange. I hope after working with me, you recognize and realize the importance behind, you know, how you should sort of categorize your priorities. But the bottom line is for me that I want to convey is you absolutely 100% be in that top spot from here on out. And if people don't like it, see, now we can dive into the whole boundary thing, which is almost like a whole other podcast, but people are not going to like it. They're going to be uncomfortable with it. And you're going to have to hold your ground. Yeah. Right. Because if you don't, you're going to fall apart again. You just will. Yeah. So really quick laser, what are your five tips to make yourself a priority? My five tips to make yourself a priority. Well, definitely doing that exercise first off. You have to recognize if you are or aren't, right? Like where you fall on that list. So do the exercise and, and, and kind of figure out where you fall and be really honest with yourself. You're the only one looking at this piece of paper. So be really honest about it, right? After you do your priority list, the second thing you should do is you should write out a self-care list, right? Like what are some of the things that you want to do to take care of yourself? Actually, even better, I have a hundred self-care tip list that I, I will give to AJ and she can put in the show notes and you can go off of that because they're, they're surfacey self-care things and they're diving deep self-care things. And if you could get a mix of both of those, you're golden. So once you figure out what those are going to be, now you just have to start creating a really positive foundation for yourself. You have to start chipping away at it. Kind of like that analogy I used with the cake. You, you can't dive in and eat the whole cake at once, right? You just have to do little things. So if you struggle with how am I going to incorporate this? How am I going to do this? Add it to your schedule. Put it on your calendar, right? It can be the same time every single day. It can be different times every single day. You can work it around your family, whatever the case may be, but put it on your calendar so that you know, okay, from four o'clock to 4.15, I'm going to go right in my gratitude journal. Okay. Now your next step is you need to tell your family and your loved ones about what you're doing, mm. right? And why you're doing it and the importance behind why you're doing it. And I've even had people inc include their families in that. Start teaching this to your children. Get them a cute little journal and say, okay, you know what? It's gratitude journal time. We're all going to sit down. We're going to put on some really like soothing spa-like music. If that's your jam, it can be whatever you want. Um, or you can do it in silence and we're all going to sit and just write out, you know, five or 10 things that we're super, super grateful for. And if we want to share, we get to share. And if we don't, we're just going to hold on to that ourselves. But you need to let your family know what it is that you're starting to do so that they can respect your boundary and respect what it is that you're doing. And then again, this be now becomes a lifelong lesson 
that you get to model to your children. And then I would say the fifth one, which is probably the hardest one, you got to stick to it. You can't let it fall apart when it gets hard because when life gets hard and it will, right? It will, you will have those moments when it's going to get hard. So that is when it becomes really, really important that you stick with whatever your routine of being a priority, your self-care routine is going to come into play. So create the habit first because then it's easier for you to stick to it when life gets hard. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. So I have a little segment called Secrets Out and I have a few questions to ask you. Number one. (laughs) Well, so yeah, it's a little about money. Shocking. Oh, okay. So I'm going to go with my, my last question first. How do you think the work you do and getting your finances in order intersect? Oh, I think there's a massive intersection between it. Most couples fight about money. Um, it's the number one cause of divorce. Yeah. So I, I, I think that if you are going to become a priority in your own damn life, getting your finances in order, um, or at least sitting down, you know, if you, if you are kind of that wife, which I was at one point in my life, if you are that wife that just lets him deal with it all or lets them deal with it all, and you don't really know anything that's going on, that's a massive mistake. So it's important that you sit down and have these conversations with your partner and just say, Hey, let's just take like, you know, one night a week, one night a month, AJ, you may have better advice than that, but just at least to start somewhere and start having those discussions. Like, can if you're totally clueless, let's at least just map out what our expenses are and how much we're actually bringing in. Let's just see how that shows up in our life, right? And then if we have to start making some adjustments, you probably will. I know I did. I know I had to curb myself a lot um, when my husband and I sat down and, and, and did that because I am the spender and he is the saver and I had no clue what I was spending. So... I think um, making your finances a priority for your relationship yeah. is super, super important, especially because that's just another way that you get to nurture and love each other. It seems like not maybe a great way because it's not super touchy-feely, right? But it's so critical and so important to be able to nurture your relationship in that way and to protect yourself and your children for the future. Totally. I couldn't agree more. Okay. Next question. What is the worst thing you've ever done with money? What is the worst thing I ever did with money? So back in the day when I was in my twenties, great time of my life, I was living in San Francisco with roommates. That's where I went to college is in San Francisco. So I stayed there. And I worked at Nordstrom and I was very much about fashion. And so, um, not only did I max out my credit card as quickly as I possibly could, totally unintentional. It's just, it was so easy to just keep handing it over. Right. And not pay attention. Um, but I would say I got to the point where I, when I would get my paycheck, I first figured out what I could buy clothing wise. I did that when I worked at Lululemon. Before I figured out how I was going to feed myself. Yep. So it was not uncommon that I would go down in the mall that I was in, that I would go down to the food court 
and buy rice at Panda Express for a dollar for lunch and then put the soy sauce on it and life was good. Yep. Right? Yep. That may have been not my finest moment. Not your best. No, but you know what? I looked really fucking cute. (laughs) And I have nothing to show for it, but I have nothing to show for it. I don't have any of those clothes anymore. I mean, I may have, I I think I have a couple of pieces, but I think I got those when I was in Europe. I don't think I have any of them from when I worked at Nordstrom. What is the best thing you've ever done with money? Um, The best thing I have, buy this house. Nice. The house that we're currently in. Um, And there's actually a fun little story if we have time for it. Um, So I was living about 15 minutes away from my sister. And the house next door to her went up for sale. And she called me and said, come look at it. And it was definitely in a neighborhood that Kevin and I wanted to be in. And the school system here is great. The neighborhood that we were in before was fine. The school system wasn't great. We were going to have to send our kids to private school. But this was a reach to buy this house for us. And so anyways, it ended up all working out because then we had to decide like, are we spending money on schools or are we going to spend money on a house? Cause that's what it boiled down to. And we chose the house. Um, and we've been here for 19 years. And so I live in this amazing neighborhood and I love my neighbors. Like nobody's freaking business. We're all in each other's business in a good way, not in a bad way, but I also live next door to my sister. That's awesome. Yeah. And so her kids are more like, like our kids, that's really there's six total between the two of us. It's like, they're all siblings. It's, it's not like they're cousins at all because they grew up right next door to each other. Oh yeah. That's so magical. That is like literally the dream. Erin, it has been so fantastic chatting with you. And I think a lot of people are going to get so much value out of what you were saying and what you're doing. And you're actually running a course right now, right? You're about to start a course. Um, Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So this is a six session course. We meet for two weeks. So one week we'll meet three different times. The next week we meet three different times. Each session is 30 minutes because I took into account moms are busy, especially over the summer. But it is teaching you why it's important to be a priority, how to become a priority, and how to start implementing what you need to do in order to become a priority in in your own damn life. That's amazing. Oh, that's so cool. And where can people find you? And where can people find out about this course? So I'll send you the information. Hopefully you can link it at the bottom of this, but they can always go to my website, which is www.theletterrsixr6coaching.com. Awesome. I'll put it all in the show notes. Uh, yes. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to see you. It was so great to see you. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Everybody's Bad With Money. Your support makes a huge difference. And if you haven't already, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. If you're listening and you're thinking, yes, I'm so ready to get my finances in order. I'm so done living the way that I'm living and I'm ready for a change. I really don't know how to get started, but I'm ready. Kill your relationship with money and become financially free begins July 12th. In 10 weeks, you will learn everything you need to know to budget, get out of debt, build wealth, and change your money mindset to an attractor. You have 24-hour support, live sessions, and a one-on-one call with a financial freedom coach. Since it is so hands-on, spots are limited and you must apply to be enrolled. 
Learn more at beyondthegreencoaching.com and apply with the link in the show notes. Are you ready to take control over your finances and become the wealthiest person you know? The program is $2,100 or six payments of $400. Apply and sign up before June 29th to receive one month of coaching for free. You heard me right. One free month. Still listening? Head to the link in the show notes to apply and start your financial freedom journey today.